From Beyond Marketing, it's the 20-Minute Call, a podcast about the dreamers, boundary pushers, rebels, and champions of the skydiving industry. Each episode is a narrative journey highlighted by the highs, lows, and luck that the skydiving industry delivers as told by the most influential people within the sport. If you've ever dreamed of becoming a skydiver, perhaps opening a drop zone, or becoming the next world champion, check out the 20-minute call hosted by me, James LeBarry. My guest today is admired throughout the skydiving world, not just because of what she's accomplished, but because of how she treats people. Ileana Rodriguez is one of the kindest people you'll ever meet in the sport. She is humble and will never tout her accomplishments, which include being a three-time world champion, 21-time national champion, has participated in 10 world records, and was inducted into the International Skydiving Hall of Fame in 2022. In her 28-year career, she's made over 16,000 jumps. I'm thrilled to welcome Ileana Rodriguez to the 20-Minute Call. Welcome, Ileana. Hi, thank you. (laughs) You almost, you're smiling, you almost seem like a little uncomfortable by what I just read. Oh, it's just interesting to hear all that, you know, (laughs) like all said at once. <laughs> I know that there's probably some things in the, in the midst of all that that is not even included. That's just a high level summary. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining me today. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, Elian, let's, let's dive in. Uh, part of my desire for this podcast is to get to know my guests a little bit more beyond the jumpsuit. And when I try to understand a person, it's always nice to know where they come from. Would you tell me a little bit about your your parents? Okay, yeah. So my parents are from Colombia, South America, and they moved out here in the early 70s. And they actually met in the U.S., um, in, in, the, in, in New York. And I was born in New Jersey. Um, but yeah, they're hardworking people. Uh, my dad worked a lot in like factories. Um, he, he used to build, um, airplane parts. He was a machinist and, um, and then he worked in other, other industries as a machinist as well. So he, that's what he was doing most of his life. And, and my mom, um, also worked in whatever she could work in, like whether it was factories or, um, when we were in Florida, um, and you know, it's a big on tourism, she worked in hotels and she was in cleaning, a cleaning lady in the hotel. So it was, it was a lot of hard work, but she was also, also always on the side, had a little business, like either trying to like sell some, you know, Avon or, or like cleaning products or perfumes. So she was always trying to like do a little side hustle and, you know, always trying to give us a better life. So I am, I'm so grateful for them. Because you know they worked really hard and they were very loving parents, so I was I was very I got very lucky in having them as my parents. When I've been researching your story, I get the sense that you have come from humble beginnings. Like you know when you were, you know, working or before leaving the military to try and get your jump ratings. You know, money was an issue, uh, but I never get the sense in reading about you that you ever felt that you were poor. No, I never, never felt that way. I mean, they were, I was like the only child. So they were always very, you know, like 
trying to spoil me in whatever way they could. And my dad was always, I, I, I had an adventurous spirit when I was younger. So he was always trying to like expose me things like taking me, trying to take me to some ski lessons, but not a ton, you know, here, you know, a little bit here and there, of course, swimming lessons and taking me to the amusement park, to the roller coaster rides. So he, he, he was trying to get me to like, I had all this like, uh, energy of, you know, like he, he, I liked, um, things that scared me a little bit. So he was, he was concerned I would do something that would, you know, I might hurt myself. So he was trying to like take me to the parks, put me on the roller coaster rides that I loved. <laughs> and, um, yeah, just so that, you know, kind of, you know, take, get that energy out, you know? <laughs> it's interesting though. He was the one that mentioned to you when you were like 14. Yes. We should go skydiving. Most dads wouldn't really sort of encourage that, especially for their daughters at 14. What, he it sounds like your dad had a real sense of adventure. He, he did. He did. I mean, I, I, I just think about both of them moving out to a, another country, not speaking the language and, um, you know, not having a ton of money and just, you know, that, I mean, that in itself back then, especially when you didn't have the internet to like look things up before you went, you know, <laughs> like my mom, she showed up in New York in March in like a little skirt and like a little, you know, that realizing that it was really cold in New, in New York in March compared to Colombia, you know, Colombia is always pretty warm. But my dad was the one that he saw not in the newspaper. And when I was like 14 or 15, and um, because he knew I'd love adventure, uh, he, he wanted to go skydiving, he wanted to go with me. So yeah, he asked me that it was just one question is like, would you jump out of an airplane? And I was like, Ooh, yes, you know, and we we soon found out I was too young to jump. Um, because I was, you know, 14 or 15, um, and then we needed to be 18. So that, that dream and that desire, that curiosity, I, I call it a curiosity because it's, uh, I didn't know it was going to be a passion, right? I had never tried it. I just thought it was going to be another roller coaster ride. So that curiosity had to like be put on hold for a little bit, but it stayed there. Like it was something that kind of kept coming around in my mind for, for the next couple years until I joined the military. <laughs> I mean, is it surreal to your father that that little, that little, off chance invitation to go skydiving and you were too young. So it was one of those things that it was a goal unchecked, mm -hmm. you know, now you're in, in the skydiving hall of fame. Is it almost like, Oh my gosh, could you have even imagined? Yeah. I mean, and none of us could have, you know, that something that I was doing for fun, you know, just for an adventure would turn into something so big in my life and, you know, and, and given me so many gifts, you know, and, and so many other adventures. <laughs> Are your parents, you know, in coming to the U.S., were they, like for me growing up in the Caribbean, America was that great big country sort of on the horizon. And if you can figure out your way there, it's the land of opportunity. Did, did, did they have that sense? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That was definitely, you know, coming to, to find a, you know, better life and to help their families, you know, back home because my mom was like one of 13 and, and my dad was one of six, although his, a lot of his siblings were already in the, in the U S. So he had, he had some family in the U S my mom, my mom came with a friend. <laughs> Amazing. I would have to say, you know, when I look at my life, I've been, I've had the great good fortune of chasing my passions that I would only be allowed to dream maybe being here. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, it's, it's neat to me as I try to have empathy thinking about your dad, that you're in America to be able to say, Hey daughter, do you, 
do you want to go skydiving? Like, you know, that's probably not something that one gets to say in many places in the world. It's cool. Yeah. 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 We're very fortunate. I mean, I'm so, yeah, I'm so, I'm so happy that, that they've made the decisions that they've made and um, I've, I've really benefited from it. Yeah. <laughs> and, for, and from my dad too, not being like, he encouraged the, the adventure, you know, like the, the adventurous side of me instead of trying to like hold me down. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm really grateful for that. <laughs> Yo, a quick break here to address the Drop Zone owners listening to the pod. If you're a DZO, then you know the insanity of taking your passion and making it your business. Mm, Why'd you do that? Running a DZ is hard. Between the stressors of liability, 30-day payment terms on fuel after four weeks of miserable weather, and angry staff who are convinced they've been skipped in the rotation, you need a tool that helps reduce your stress. Enter Burble Software. Conceived by a DZO who's been in the trenches just like you, Burble is the most sophisticated manifest and booking software on the planet. Your life as a DZO is hard enough, so don't be that DZO who tries to save a few bucks using software that wasn't built for us. Burble, the must-have drop zone management software for the 182DZ to the multi-turbine monster. Burble. When you speak about your childhood, you've described yourself as very, quote, smiley. <laughs> yeah. I know that's how you are today. Uh, whenever I and others around you, your smile radiates positive energy. Is this positivity natural to your own personality, or is it something ingrained from an influence in, in how you were raised? I think, um, I think a little bit of both. I think, I mean, I've always been, you know, like a happy kid. I mean, I had great parents, you know, that I didn't feel poor. They, you know, they always did their best. And another part of it too, was we did move around a lot. So I was always like new at school trying to make friends. Right. So that might've added to it. But I think even before that, when I was like an infant, like, like one or two, I was already like a happy baby, you know, and my parents are really like, like mellow people, like really relaxed people. And yeah, so I think that was easy to, you know, to be, to be happy around them. And they were super stoked to have their little girl, you know, I was, you know, daddy's girl for sure. <laughs> well, and what were your early passions? Did, did you have any specific hobbies or interests that might even give us a, an inclination of what your future would hold? No, I mean, I, I mean, we moved around a lot. I was always like trying to fit in, you know, into a new place, but, um, you know, I, I didn't do sports in school and I don't know if it was because of all the moving around, the lack of money, probably as well. My parents probably didn't want to you know, encourage because they weren't going to be able to like afford it. But also I was going to some private like Catholic schools that I, I don't even remember a lot of other people doing the sports. So maybe they just didn't have them in those particular schools. I remember just wanting to be everything. You know, I wanted to be a doctor. I wanted to be a pilot. I want to be an astronaut. You know, I want to be an actress. You know, so it was like all over the place. <laughs> Let's fast forward a little bit. You enlisted in the U.S. Army at age 17. Mm -hmm. Why did you decide to join the military as opposed to going to college? In high school, a lot of my friends and I were, uh, were looking for like colleges and stuff and even went to see one. But I started to think, I'm like, I don't even know what I want to do. Like I hadn't decided yet. And my parents didn't have money to send me to school. And I, I just certainly didn't have money to, you know, uh, saved for school. And so um, we had to take an ASVAB test in high school. And I didn't even realize that 
it, that was what it was for, for the military. And so after we took the test, the they would call you up to the guidance counselor. And um, there was a recruiter there from the army. And he said, hey, you did really well on your test. Have you ever considered joining the military? And I hadn't even considered it at that point. Although my dad had been in the in the National Guard for six years. And he really liked it. He actually really enjoyed it. And so I hadn't even thought about it. But when he said, you know, you can do two years, you're going to get like $17,000 for school, which sounded a lot to, to me at the time. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I can go in for two years, think about what I want to do, because I still don't know what I want to do. And then I could get some money for school. And then, you know, and he said, even while you're in, you can go to school and, it, and it's, you know, it can either be discounted or free. So I thought this is perfect. So I went home and told my my mom and dad and my dad was happy. I think they were worried about like, what, what is she going to do next? Like, you know, and how, you know, how are we going to pay for school? And so when that opportunity came up, he, they were like, you know, he was ready to sign. My mom was a little, probably a little more concerned, like, oh man. Um, but yeah, they, you know, they, they had to sign for me because I wasn't 18 yet. And um yeah, I joined and I, but, and I ended up when, once I got to, there was what they call the MEP station where you go and they do the full physical and test on you. And then they, they uh, connect you to what your job is going to be in the military. I, you know, I went in there thinking I'm going to sign for a contract for two years. And it's weird that I didn't go, like my dad didn't come with me. I, I went by myself as a 17 year old to make these decisions, you know? <laughs> and, um, so I thought two years, okay, that sounded good, even though to me at 17, two years seemed kind of long. <laughs> but I went in there and the first thing they're like, okay, what about this job as like, um, you know, something in an office for four years? I was like, ooh, an office, no way, I, I can't work in an office. And four years, no, you know, what about the two-year jobs? And they're, they're like, a, a medic for six years. And I was like, six years? I mean, I'm 17. I'm like, that is a lifetime. And I was I immediately thought about being in war and like, you know, people severely injured, like losing limbs. And I was like, no way. I, like, I don't want to be a medic. <laughs> and so I'm like, I'm like, what about the two-year jobs? And they're like, well, there's only like infantry, which women are not allowed to do. And, um, and a cook. And I was like, oh, okay. I don't, I don't want to be a cook either. So then I, I almost walked out of it. I started getting really nervous. I'm like, yeah, maybe it's not the right time. You know, I it, like, maybe I can come back later when there's two years jobs <laughs> and they they didn't want to let me leave right you know they wanted to like because they knew if I left I might not come back so then the so then we negotiated on a, on one for th that was four years for three years which was in communications and so then I was like okay I, I guess okay I, could, I guess I could do three years and, and I and I got a little more money for school so it would be like twenty two thousand dollars for school twenty two thousand five hundred dollars for school so I signed for a three-year contract and then I ended up after three I ended up extending for seven months so I I, I should have just signed the four-year contract and gotten a little bit more and, you know, gotten a different job. My job was just, you know, it was just an okay job, but um, I actually really enjoyed the experience in the military. I, I love actually thinking about it now. I enjoyed the training, even basic training when they're yelling at you and all that. And after I got done with the basic training and the training for my job, and then I got put in like a, a like at, at Fort Hood, which is a regular duty station, I was kind of underwhelmed. I was like, oh, that's it? Because I thought I was signing a 
up for three years of basic training. <laughs> you know, not that I like, you know, I, I knew that because that's what that's why that seems so long, like two or three years or four. I'm like, oh my god, that's that's too much, you know. But um, after I got out of, done with all the training, I missed all the training because it was something new every day. You're doing some cool stuff every day. I mean, you're getting yelled a lot too, and and smoked like lots of push-ups and things like that. But it was, it's good for you, right? So um, I actually really enjoyed the training part of it the more than just being at like a regular duty station and you know having to go out into the field was hmm, <laughs> it wasn't as fun this is an interesting point because you're tough Ileana. you don't do or accomplish the things that you've done without a level of toughness but at the same time your exterior is quote-unquote smiley right you're yeah. you're you do radiate positive energy thank you <laughs> But there's also a toughness within. There has to be. I, you know, I'm assuming. Like for me, when I think, oh boy, if I was 17 and I enlisted into the army, and when I think of basic training, I think of everything that you see on TV of just getting yelled at. To me, like, <laughs> I would be thinking, what have I got myself into? And you're saying, oh, you know, actually, it was okay. It was good. It was good for me. It was. You know, the, the positivity throughout, but obviously you had to be tough. Did you ever second guess going, why did I do this? Well, initially it's definitely like, I don't think, I don't think I've realized that that's how, you know, they were going to be yelling at you. They don't make you feel at home for sure. You're getting, you get in trouble for everything because you're just learning the rules of like being in the military, like how to wear the uniform, how to address them. And you, you mess it up all the time. So you're always getting in trouble. So you're like, Oh my God. But, um, I think you get, you get like, then you get comfortable with it. Right. At first I was like homesick and everything. And I was like crying to my parents, but, um, yeah, like you quickly start getting into, into the routine and getting the hang of it. And, um, laughing about it, you know, because you, you know, we're all getting smoked and, you know, you end up cracking up about it, you know, <laughs> But yeah, I, I think I enjoyed just, um, you know, I like the training. I like the, you know, obviously I like training, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed, you know, like every day, something new, you know, being challenged, something, something different, something new, something cool. And I mean, some things were, you know, like, you know, not, not always fun, but, <laughs> but it's, it was just, I think it's just the newness of it. Learning. I like learning. <laughs> I, I enjoy learning. One thing is you were insistent upon when you were in the military is that you wanted to get the opportunity to jump. Yeah. And you were insistent about that. And I was curious why you would be insistent about this when you had never jumped before. Why did you think that this was for you? Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, that idea kept going around. And that was one of the first questions I asked my recruiter. I'm like, hey, am I going to get to go jump? Um, I, even before I went to the MEP station. And he was like, yeah, just when you when you uh, get done with all your training and you get, get to your first duty station, just request it. So I thought, okay, you know, I just, believe, you know, like believe them. And, and, you know, I think you could have requested it, but because I wasn't sent to airborne units at the beginning, like my first two duty station were not airborne units. They didn't really need to spend their budget on me going to airborne school. So I got denied. And then I did get sent to Fort Bragg, which is home of the airborne. And I was like, yes, I'm finally going to get to do this. And I got sent to an airborne unit and I requested it and they said, yes. And then so I was, I was super happy. I was like, oh, I'm finally going to get to do this. And I was just, yeah, I just wanted to jump. I, I don't think like back then you didn't look online to see like where the jump places were. And, you know, so it was just like a neat, you know, way to, a way to do it. 
and I didn't know the difference between being airborne and just being like a skydiver, you know, like with the, you know, the free fall and the round parachutes. And they, they actually looked for a school date for me to go. And they realized I had, by the time I got out of school, they, I was not going to have more, I was, had less than a year left. So they denied me again. And I was like, oh man, but the, I even, I, at one point I even, they even took me cause everybody knew I wanted to do it. They even took me on one of their jumps and I got to be in the plane and watch everybody go, go jump which was cool. And some of the guys in the unit um, were like, you know, there's a skydiving center nearby um, in Rayford and you can just rent a parachute and jump. And I thought it, you know, like back then I just thought it was that easy. So I was like, okay, you know, so I, we, they were supposed to go with me. They were like, well, yeah, we can all go together. We'll go jump. And then, you know, a month goes by, you know, we don't have any money. We don't have any time. Another month goes by. And, you know, so finally I'm like, I'm just going to go. And, and I went. <laughs> Incredible. And during that time, I'm going to fast forward through a little bit of time here, but you start doing static line. And then when you get into the free fall aspect of your training, you really struggled. And I tell that story a lot or have told when I was running a drop zone to students that were struggling. Mm-hmm. And so let me tell you about this lady, Eliana Rodriguez. The struggles that you're having this world champion started where you did. I, I, I have always been somewhat tickled that it didn't necessarily come completely naturally to you. Yeah. 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 I did. I did the the static line jumps and that part went okay. Cause you're like hanging on the strut. You just let go and you know, you're already presented. And um, so I was running out of time in the military, right? I was about to get out. My instructor suggested that I switch over to AFF because I'd done five static line jumps. Then I did a hop and pop where I pulled for myself. Then I did a five, like a five second delay. And then I was onto the 10 second delays. And I'm like, this is going to take forever to get to like the 45, 50, you know, 50 second delays. And so um, I, I'm like, I'm going to be out of the military and be, being in the military, I was uh, I was going through the course with the 82nd Freefall Activity, which was a club, a military club. So so I got really good discounts, you know, as being a soldier, which was I needed it at the time, you know. Otherwise, it would have been really hard to do. So they suggested I switch over to AFF, but they were going to start me on level five since I was already pulling for myself, right? So I I go out on that first jump with an instructor before I was just like holding on by myself and letting go. And anytime they they would say, okay, you can go, I would just take a deep breath and then I would let go. And so this time he, he told me to give the count and I was like, okay. So I was like, ready, set, go. And then I was going to take a deep breath and go. And when he heard go, like he just like ripped me off the plane, of course. Right. (laughs) I didn't go on go. And that started to jump all crazy. Like, Oh my God, like overwhelming. And you know, I, I, I followed his hand signals. I was able to pass that, that first one, but I was like, Whoa, that was like completely different experience because the other ones I only had like a little tiny bit of free fall. I was already presented, you know, with the, with being on the strut. And so then we did level six and on level six, I was like spinning. I flipped over on my back. I saw my shoes. I was like, Whoa, that's, that's a weird picture. Like seeing my feet in front of me <laughs> and they had to flip me over. And, um, and so I didn't pass that one. And then I, I did, you know, I was like, I started to, to, you know, and then I did another one, but it was still like, 
you know, challenging. And then I did like a level seven and um, they told me to pull and I started to track thinking, you know, I still need to track because that was part of the plan. So, so I started to go and they like had to stop and pull for me. I was like, oh, you know, I was at one point I was like, man, I don't know if I'm good at this. I mean, I don't know if this sports for me. I was like, it just felt like, felt like out of control. Like I, you know, I didn't feel like I was doing good. It was scary. And uh, fortunately, my instructors um, took the extra effort because at the time, you know, there wasn't any civilian wind tunnels, but they they managed to get me into the military wind tunnel that they had there at Fort Bragg. And um, and I they, they got me in there um, in a nice suit. And um, I, I think I don't even know how much time because back then they didn't ch- keep track of time, but I think it was probably like 10 or 15 minutes. And they fixed my body position and then I was able to get back to to AFF and then I was much better just with those 10 or 15 minutes. It was, yeah, it was a big improvement. And so I did like, I did another, um, like two seven level seven jumps. And then, uh, I, I, I got out of the military. So I left and I went to Florida right after that. (laughs) You went to Florida after that, not realizing that that time in the tunnel really maybe accelerated your skills beyond what you even knew. You were given some attention when you got to Titusville of like, wow, yeah. She's got skills. At, at, at a different time, after my instructors took me in there, I went back to just watch people fly because it was, uh, I could walk to the wind tunnel for where my barracks were. And, um, I was, it was just cool to go watch other people fly. And while I was watching, I got invited in. And so they put me in this, like those yellow military suits with the, the zippers, the Cordura ones. And, um, I got to fly more. So there at that point, I actually got to fly, fly quite a bit more where I got to the point where I could do like, side slides i was doing verticals and turning you know like staying in the column of air because that column of air you know it wasn't wall to wall right you could fall out of the column and so i was able to stay in that column and you know fly i i I developed a bad arm position just because i didn't have any weight on and i had like this big baggy suit and they they didn't adjust the air for me (laughs) so my arms were really far back my feet were on my butt just to like stay down because it was kind of scary to start to move up because you would fall out but i could i was very solid like I, was, I could stay there and I could even do a little side slides and turns and verticals. So by the time I got to Florida with my, my few jumps, um, and, and at first I was doing some solos, but by when I, when I finally did a two way, they were like, wow, you're doing really good, but you got to fix your arms a little bit, you know, get your legs out a little bit, fix your arms. And I was like, okay, you know, and so, yeah, so I was, I was getting a lot of, um, like a lot of people were like, wow, you're, you're doing really good. So that gave me a lot of confidence. Yeah. This is the mid 90s. Have you ever reflected going, wow, it's, you know, usually the story of today's champions with your kind of resume go on to become, you know, a member of the Golden Knights. And here you are in that place where these guys are training. Has there ever been a moment like, wow, how crazy is this life that I would go on to beat the Golden Knights as a civilian? Yeah. Uh, Kind of wild. Well, I have a funny story around that. When I when I did go back to the tunnel and I was flying, there was a golden knight there who has who was going through some training, um, uh, some what they call BNOC training, you know, leadership training, and he wasn't training with his team at the time. So on his time off, he'd go to the tunnel and fly just to like you know to stay current and stuff. So he said, 
um, this is John Hoover. He was like, you know, and I, I talked to him a little bit and he, and he, he knew I was getting out and he goes, you know, when I, when I, um, reenlisted, they gave me a bonus and then I used that bonus to get coaching. And then I tried out for the Golden Knights. He goes, you should do that. I had like 10, 10 jumps or something at the time. And I was like, yeah, right. Like, like I'm going to get on the Golden Knights. Like I'm still just like trying to be stable, you know, like didn't think that was like, it could be possible. And then it's funny later on, I actually competed against him and then we beat him specifically. Yeah. 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 Was was there an intersection of at least physical presence of your future peace partner and future husband? Was Craig Girard at the Golden Knights around that time? No, no, No. he was already off the team in in Arizona. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) That would have been too much synergy there. Yeah. Let's fast forward a, a moment to like a pivotal, I reference crossroads moments and I assume this is one. You go to Florida, you quickly knock out roughly 200 jumps at Titusville. Mm-hmm. A friend of yours is saying, hey, you know, you really ought to apply for working at the wind tunnel in Orlando, which for those listening, and if you're a newer jumper, you may not realize that Back in the mid mid to late 90s, there was only one tunnel, and that was Sky Venture Orlando, which would later become what we know today as iFly. You, you know, they're like, hey, you should, your friend is like, you should apply for this. Like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. Not really taking it too seriously because you felt like you needed to have a thousand jumps versus 200. Long story short, you're at, I think it was Skydive City person that would be hiring happens to be there and it's suddenly like wow this looks like an actual opportunity they're saying i should put my application in you do you get hired you become a tunnel instructor Mm -hmm. (laughs) where is your life today potentially if if you don't say yes to that yeah i mean that was that was i think really incredible because it changed everything for me because at the time i i can only do like maybe two days a month maybe at times three or four but so let's say i was doing like 10 jumps a month you know maybe a little bit more because that's all i could afford i mean i was going to when when i got out of the military i went i went to college uh, full time and i was waiting on tables so you can imagine i you know i would go when i had money and, and time and i didn't have much of either one of those and so i was getting very little i mean i was getting like 10 you know let's say 10 or 15 jumps a month um, i think i was like my first couple of years i was doing 100 jumps per year and so you know that progress was gonna you know take way longer without the tunnel and and so her saying that to me and believing in me and thinking that i could do it like i thought it was really interesting because i certainly wouldn't have gone for it i like i would have been like i I mean when she mentioned it i was like oh no my my immediate reaction was like no way i mean you need to have like probably like a thousand jumps i don't know where i got that from but like that's what i thought you know (laughs) a thousand jumps you probably already have to be an aff instructor and you know have all this experience and um like there's no like way they would hire me like like why you know and so we got yeah it was like we got it was a very it was kind of an interesting thing because we were net we were never in Zephyr Hills but there was fires along the east coast at that time and she had a friend who was already working there his name was Troy Keys and he was 
he was from the land from actually uh, Shannon's team, Shannon Pilcher's team, Genesis. He was the, their video guy and he, he, he was already had been hired at the tunnel, but the tunnel wasn't open yet. You know, it was still, they're still under construction. And, and he happened to be in Zephyr Hills. I, I happened to be in Zephyr Hills because of these fires. And then the general manager of the tunnel was a jumper at Zephyr Hills. And so when she introduced me to Troy, he said, Oh, the general manager's here. Let me introduce you to him. So it was just like a, like it's a serendipity, right? You know, it's like meant to be. And then I felt like I, I needed to like, I, you know, I had already told her that I might, but I was not actually not, not really thinking I would because I was like, ah, they're not going to take me. Then I felt like, okay, once I got introduced, I'm like, okay, I, I, I need to go apply. I'll, I'll do my, like I did my resume that whole night, like trying to like figure out what to put on this resume. <laughs> and, and I thought, well, you know, they probably won't hire me, but maybe I'll get a little tunnel time in the tryout, you know, <laughs> and that would be really cool, you know. So, um, so I went over there and I got hired to my surprise and it was the best thing because I mean, once you get in there, I mean, I was flying every day. I was progressing very quickly, but not only that, I mean, I was watching, there was a lot of coaches that were coming from all over the world, the top coaches, top teams, you know, everybody training there. I mean, see, I was seeing people coach every day. So I was watching them and then anything I was learning from watching, I was trying myself, right. We, amongst instructors, we were all practicing. And, um, and I think just being, that's one of the things like it being around what you love around, you know, people that you admire, you're inspired by, um, that you're learning from. I mean, they see you, you see them, right. And then it, just things start to happen. You know, opportunities start to come out of that. So, um, I think if, if you love something, if, if you, you know, be around it, you know, in any way you can. And, um, you know, you'll learn so much. You'll, you'll be inspired even more. Um, and then, you know, you know, you never know what might come out of it, who you meet and who, who, who sees you. Like, cause, cause, um, one of the things is people were seeing things in me that I didn't, I wasn't, you know, I didn't see in myself. So luckily, luckily they, you know, they did. <laughs> I think in, in our maturity, like for myself, if I had as much self-belief in myself as much as my peer group has in me, maybe I would, I mean, I was sort of a late bloomer. It took me a while to think that I had any value to offer the world. Was there a, a point where you recognize, no, I'm, I'm as good as they say that I am. <laughs> I mean, I think that's, for me, it's, I always feel like there's more to learn, you know, like even now I feel like, you know, in, in every way, like, I mean, in, in coaching and, you know, in certain positions within the team or in organizing, I always feel like, you know, but I, I mean, I do recognize, um, you know, over time, you know, the experience I've gained and, um, I'm happy to share, share the knowledge, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm the type of person that needed more of that, you know, like, I'm so glad people believed in me. And, you know, one of the things I, I, I think about is like, you, you almost have to start before you're ready, because if you wait till you're ready, you know, like if you're going to be waiting a long time because you almost never, if you always feel like you need more, <laughs> you need to be better. <laughs> If you're a fan of The 20-Minute Call, I'd like to invite you to be a member of a budding community with me on Patreon. By becoming a patron of the show, you can join me behind the scenes to discuss options for future guests and gain access to some show swag. It's pretty sweet. Details on how to become a patron can be found in the show notes. Okay, back to the show. We first met when I used to run Scott of Carolina, and eventually I would leave Scott of Carolina to start my business. I've often said that if I knew everything that I needed to know to start a business, then I probably never would have got started. 
true. <laughs> for, for me, a little bit of naivete served me well. Mm-hmm. So if I knew everything, I probably wouldn't have begun the journey. The tunnel opens. You join it. Your very first ever team, I believe, was Illusions. Mm-hmm. And then roughly 50 training jumps in. Your mom gets sick. Mm-hmm. And, and you were 24. And she passed very quickly after that diagnosis. And then shortly after your mom's passing, your dad gets diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eliana, that must have been such a dark time. Yeah, that was definitely, yeah, it was difficult. Yeah. But um, I mean, for one, I'm, I'm grateful that I was able to be there for my mom. And I wasn't like in the military, maybe not being able to get away as much as I, I did. Because when she started to get sick, I didn't have a plan around it. But I just started like I knew she just needed me that day. So then suddenly I'm like, okay, I can't go to work today. And then I'm like, okay, then I got to drop school, like college, I was going to college, I started dropping classes. And of course, I like had to tell the team immediately, you know, I can't, I can't do the team anymore. And so, um, so then I, I, I got that time with her in the last few months that she had. So I was I'm really grateful for that. And I'm grateful she didn't suffer for a long, long time. But it was I mean, I was 24. And, and I have me and my brother 11 years apart, and he was 13. And then, yeah, eight months later, my dad gets cancer. So that was scary because I thought, oh, my God, we're, we're about to go through this all over again. Um, unfortunately, he he had surgery and then chemo and he was able to recover. But, yeah, that was that was uh, that was kind of a, we didn't expect that. You know, I, she was sick a little bit a few months before, but we just I, I, I just thought she just had like a cold or something like that. I didn't realize it was going to be so serious. You had examples before of, of being very strong, right? I, I go to basic training. Yeah, you see the bright side of it. You, As you reflect on your mom's passing, you still use the words gratitude. Was there a support system or, or what got you through the time? Because it's like life was looking up, right? Everything is, is trending. I'm in the tunnel. I'm around all these people. I'm feeling so inspired. I'm, mm-hmm. I found something that I really love. I'm going after it. And then like the worst thing, mm-hmm. uh, what, what, what is your takeaway from, from that experience? You know, um, I mean, at the time I, I like, because I mean, her situation was so serious. I didn't even have time to think about, you know, oh, I can't compete anymore or like that. Like it was like right away, my attention fully went to her, but, um, I, I'm just, I, I do feel grateful that I was able to just focus on her. Like I still lived with my parents at the time, y- you know, like I, yeah, my credit card bills went up a little bit, but it, you know, my dad was still going to work and paying for, you know, for things. And I was able to recover from that. And maybe it was my 24, uh, at my age, you know, 24 that I like, wasn't thinking about anything else. I'm just grateful that I had that time, right? Like that I, I could just take that time. And then I, then after everything was done, I was able to go back. And I, and again, I wasn't even thinking it through at the time, but thinking back now, I mean, it was totally the right thing to do, obviously to, to just put everything on hold. Every, I could go back to everything else, but I, I wouldn't be able to go back to that, you know, spending that special time with her. You end up coming back to Sky Venture. You end up, and I'm, this is going to be more of a comment than a question because there's so much to cover in your career. You come back, you join a team called Rage. You win the U.S. Nationals Intermediate. And I found it interesting that two of your teammates, one is Kyle Stark, mm-hmm. who, if I'm not mistaken, went on to, to do big things with, with Mandarin, if it's mm-hmm. the same Kyle Stark, yeah, with yeah. VFS, mm-hmm. yeah. early days of VFS. And then Thomas Hughes, who would yeah. go on, you know, to have a fabulous FS career, including with Airspeed. 
Yes. And you all won that when Thomas Hughes had 200 jumps. Like, it, it's kind of crazy how sort of full circle everyone came from Rage. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was just that time in the tunnel. Like, it was just like, you know, it was like, it was it was so amazing and, and new. And, you know, we were getting so many influences from all the coaches coming in. And, yeah, it was just, it was incredible. And, like, we had no idea that, that you know, like, this little team, you know, would would be like, start, you know, it was the beginning of so much more. Yeah, it was interesting that before that team, a lot of people still weren't sure if the tunnel could help you in free fall. Like they were like, it's not, they were like, a lot of people felt like it wasn't the same. And then after that, um, they were like, wow, you know, the intermediate team just did a 22 on a jump. They're like, oh my God. <laughs> and so um, and then we won by quite a, quite a bit of points. So they were like, I think it really like made people realize that you could train in the tunnel and, and it is going to go up, up to the sky, you know, going to benefit you in the air in the competition. This year, the inventor of that wind tunnel, a gentleman named Bill Kitchen, was inducted into the International Skydiving Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Do you remember Bill from, from, from that er- early time? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, he, you know, I mean, because I, w- I, I started at the tunnel before it was even open. So it was July of 1998 is when they opened or when I got hired. And then, then we opened shortly after that. And um, yeah, he was there a lot at the beginning. And um, yeah, you know, yeah, I know him very well. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. Another full circle. Yeah. You know, gosh, you all were just in the in this hotbed of greatness without realizing what was building, what was growing. What an exciting time. It was a special time because it was, everybody was coming to us, right? Now everybody's kind of spread out, right? Like, you know, they're spread out all over the world, all over the country. At that point, everybody was coming to the same tunnel. So we were getting to like, you know, learn from everybody, meet everybody, you know what I mean? And so I think, yeah, we were very, very fortunate to be in that situation at the time with like the right, right time, right place. (laughs) The unfortunate part with doing a, a roughly one hour podcast is we, are zooming through great periods of time, but to keep our audience clued in here, because I want to get into this next period is you end up joining a four-way team, uh, Synchronicity, mm-hmm. that would go on to win the world championships as an all-four-way female team in Spain. But the story is essentially you all were down going to the 10th round and it's, it's well-documented and it was very exciting that you all pulled out the win in the 10th round. And that really got you some added attention. And that success led an invitation to join Arizona Airspeed. Yes, (laughs) yes. Can you share that period of time or that moment when the invitation came and what that was all about? I, you know, I had been, um, I I did Tunnel Rage. And then right after Tunnel Rage, um, I I got a call from, from Lilac, her last name was Hayes at the time, but um, as she she called me and asked me if I wanted to join this women's team, and um, I thought I was like, oh, that sounds cool. They're like, we're having a World Cup here in Arizona, or in, in the in the U.S., and there's no women's team that's going to represent, and it's a it's a new event. I was like, oh, that sounds amazing. It's interesting. I'm like, when is it? And I thought she was going to say like next year sometime. And she's like, next month. I'm like, next month. Oh my God. I'm like, are we even going to be ready? And she's like, you know, we can do a few training jumps. I think we can get, you know, we can do some jumps there. We can do a few weekends. And, but I, you know, she goes, I think, you know, I think, you know, with our team, you know, we can do, we can do good because they had done a test event before. So she kind of knew the averages. 
Um, so I was like, okay, I'm in. So we went and we did a couple training weekends and we trained in Arizona as well. I think probably did 30, 30 jumps or so or 40 jumps. And then we did the competition, the World Cup, and we won. And so that was really exciting. And so then they, we got asked to represent the U.S. at the World Meet in Spain, like six months later at the time. It was very, very close. And so we decided to do it. And this time we trained more than I ever had done and more jumps than I'd ever done in my life. Because before that, I'd done 100 jumps maximum a year. And this time we did 300 in six months. And we got a coach, we got Joey Jones, and we were doing lots of tunnel time. So we put a lot of effort, like passion. And, you know, and we were like, you know, we had won the World Cup. So we, you know, had a lot of hope that we can win the world, world me. And um, during this time, um, Arizona Airspeed was holding a lot of tunnel camps at the tunnel. So that's where I got to know them and they got to know me. So they would see me fly, not necessarily with the team all the time, but like, you know, just fly with my students and coach and and just, you know, I got to know them and, and they all got to know me. And then they were, you know, also training for the world meet as well. We go to the world meet and it was a very exciting <laughs> competition, a big roller coaster, a roller coaster ride of like 10 rounds because we were good. Then we were down and then we were slowly crawling our way back up. And we ended up winning on that last round, which was, uh, you know, like we did the best jump we'd ever done. And I remember landing and like, my, my cheeks hurt because from smiling, I, you know, I couldn't stop smiling. I, I, I smile a lot. So, that, you know, I got good, good muscles there, but I just felt really good about our performance. Like, I didn't know if we'd won or lost, but I just felt good. Um, I was just like proud of us. I remember some of them, some of the airspeed guys before we took off, you know, everybody's giving you high fives and they're like, you know, like a lot of times you're feeling nervous, right? Because you want to perform well, kind of like the round one, because like, if you could, they were like, if you could take that and bottle it, bottle it up, you could like, you know, sell it. For, for a lot of money because it's just like a it's a, you're it's a you're nervous but you're also super excited right your body is getting you ready for this big jump you know the jump of your life and um and a lot of it's on the line like you can win or lose right so um yeah i come down and i know i felt really good and we were down by three points i think yeah no we were down by one point and then we won by three so that was just like the icing on the cake you know and so um after that I didn't realize that during that airspeed, they hadn't mentioned it to me that they were actually considering me for um, a slot on their team because uh, they had somebody leaving and they were looking for another teammate. And so the question is always like, yeah, like they could fly. They could see me fly in the tunnel. She, you know, she could fly well, but you know, can, you know, how would, how is she going to be under pressure? Right? Like if, if, like if it came down to, you know, down one point or up one point, are you going to be able to perform? And so they got their answer there at the world meet. Right. Um, so then I, the invitation came afterwards. Yeah. So then and, and I just want to interject one aspect of that, that showed your toughness is your team had no alternate and you'd sprained your ankle early in the competition. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which didn't exactly help with confidence. Yeah. And yet, you know, you all really put it on the line. That's right. I forgot. I forgot about that. That's right. Yeah, I did. I, I'm one of the jumps. I can't remember, but early on, like the first half of the, the, the me, I, I landed in the ground was a little bit uneven and um, I landed really hard and it really hurt. And I, I, I didn't fall, but I, I had twisted my ankle and I called my teammates over and I was like, yikes, you know, it, it hurts really bad. So they took me over to the medic and the medic was like, well, you know, what are you going to do? You can't jump anymore. And I was like, what? No way. Like, we don't even like we, I have to jump. And fortunately that day we didn't need to jump. Um, but anymore that day, but, uh, my teammate, 
she's a, she was a physical therapist. So she kind of checked it out and she like bent it one way or the other. She's like, okay, you can move it this way, but not this way. And we iced it all night, took ibuprofen, elevated it, you know, just trying to do everything we could. And then, um, she taped it up really well the next day and then I, like, you know, kept on going and, um, yeah. So it sounds so like a movie, Ileana. Yeah, that sounds yeah. like a movie. <laughs> yeah. It was, yeah. I was like so grateful it wasn't broken. Um, but yeah, it was for a moment I was, I thought it, it could, you know, it was on the edge, right? It, it really hurt at, at the time. <laughs> you join airspeed shortly after. Is there pressure on you? Because it's, there's pressure enough being on airspeed because of the standard, but everyone's making, you know, the huge issue that Eliana is the only woman who has ever joined Arizona Airspeed, uh -huh. which in itself is not helping with it. It's like, yeah, amazing. Awesome. It is completely inspiring because it's, it's, it's been a man's team, if you will. But that's added pressure because there's parity in the air, but everyone's making a deal of this and you're just doing your thing. Mm -hmm. So d did that weigh on you at all? Um, you know, I mean, I, I wanted to perform well, but I, I think, you know, whether it was being the first woman or, or, you know, just being on any team, it's always, I feel like it's always the case. You want, you know, you, whether you're on a team with all women or, you know, it's, it's like, you just want to do your best, you know? Yeah. That year, you know, it was, we had a little bit of, uh, it was a lot of ups and downs because we had a lot of injuries on the team that year. You know, we had Gary Beyer on a snowboarding accident, separated his shoulder. Then we had someone quit. And then right before the nationals, one month before I, I did break my ankle this time. I was sliding in and I rolled it and um, it, it was fractured that time. And I couldn't go to the, the first, my first nationals with airspeed. I was, I was pretty bummed about that. I was like, I can't believe this. It was like my, my first year on the team as a professional team. And I, I, I'm not going to the nationals, but you know, they were all very supportive. No, um, nobody was angry or anything like that. And I wasn't even going to go to the nationals because I wasn't competing. And they're like, no, you have to come with us. So they, you know, they brought me out with them. And so I was, I was able to just, you know, cheer, cheer, cheer them on from the sidelines for that one. But, you know, took three months off and then get, got right back on it. <laughs> and that was the beginning of, of history in terms of, I need to look into my notes. How, do you recall how many nationals and, and worlds that you won with airspeed? With airspeed, I won two uh, world championships, one in four-way open and, eight, and one in eight-way open. And then I won two World Cups in, in 2005. We won in the same World Cup. We won the four-way and the eight-way at the same time. And then in four, yeah, four-way open and eight-way open. And then um, as far as national championships, I, I think it's all of them, except for like my, my uh, one with rage, you know, <laughs> which is like, tw you know, 20, 20 or tw 21. Actually, I don't even know if I put my, my, ra my rage one in, in that CV, <laughs> my intermediate one. Um, but yeah, all the, um, yeah, like all the four way, eight ways, 16 ways and 10 ways, which were all the 21 national championships over those years. <laughs> this podcast is sponsored by Beyond Marketing, the digital marketing agency for the skydiving industry. Now, I'm not a fan of lots of ads during a podcast. I mean, who likes ads? So I'll stop talking about <laughs> how marvelously wonderful Beyond Marketing is. But if you're curious about what the amazing people of Beyond Marketing do to help drop zones and manufacturers thrive, then you should check out their website at dropzone.marketing. That's dropzone.marketing. If you had to take the TED stage... Mm -hmm. And you are sharing one of the moments in your incredible career at Airspeed. What's a moment that brings you the most pride? Hmm. 
Wow. I mean, what's the moment? Because I was on airspeed nine years, right? It wasn't just one year or two and lots of competitions. I mean, I think overall, you know, obviously grew in, in skydiving, in my skills, in my four-way and eight-way skills. But I think what I like the most about being on airspeed is that I, I grew it in other ways as well, like, you know, leadership skills, um, you know, even public speaking skills. Like when I first got on the team, I was really terrified of public speaking for some reason. I, and it's still, I would say it's still not my comfort zone. Some people are very natural public speakers like Craig and Kirk. And, but I, for me, it's always been a, a little, I've always been shyer on that end. And when I first got on the team, I, you know, they were wanting me to give some seminars and I was like, me, I'm like, I just got on the team. Like, <laughs> you know, and I, I felt like they could do such a much better job than I would. And, and I felt, I, I felt very insecure about doing it, but they really uh, encouraged me and helped me and were there you know to help me out and and so that helped me grow a lot and we we would also rotate the leadership right you know the the captain where we could like every week we'd have a different captain and um so it was just strange like getting in there like the first couple you know weeks or um and then i was like the captain of, of you know like you know i was on a team and my first four-way team was with, was with kirk Werner. so i was like leading him you know but again you know we, they would at the end of the week you know we talk about what went well and what you know what needed to improve on and so that gave me a lot of confidence and helped me a lot and um so i, I grew in so many more ways than i i ever imagined i would have been on a skydiving team skills that you know you're gonna you can take into other other things like being part of you know just being the teamwork side of things i'd like to preempt an invitation to you for us to have another conversation on this podcast if if that'd be okay next year i want to dig deeper into your experiences with airspeed again your your career is so vast mm-hmm. and there's so much i'm curious about but i would be remiss if i didn't bring up with the time that we have left is this new initiative going on that I don't know much about, which is the Hera Rising initiative. And there's talk about you being one of three possible women going to the stratosphere. Can you tell me and our audience about this? Yeah. So it's the the Hera Rising mission. And um, I got a call in November of 2021 from Amy Shimalecki and Sarah Curtis they had been called by somebody from the Hair Rising team. They wanted to break the record, of, you know, Alan Eustace's record of the highest altitude jump. But this time they wanted to do it with a woman. And um, initially they were looking for like just a Latina woman, you know, so they were like, we know the one. <laughs> so they called me and I, I was driving somewhere and um, I, was, I was talking to them and I, I hear they, t- they say, you know, would you be interested in this? I mean, they just tell me about it. And I was like, my heart, you know, like dropped, you know, I was like, <gasps> you know, it, it immediately is like, oh my God, this is, this is scary. You know, it sounds scary. But then I, then I was like, I'm curious, tell me more, you know? <laughs> um, and so they, you know, they started telling me about like the team and like the, the, the people that had approached them and that they wanted to break the record. You know, the, the, the person who started the idea, his name is Ronald Chang Diaz and he's, um, him and uh, his wife, uh, Ana Cristina Munoz, or uh, now ex-wife, but um, that was in 2018. His brother is in the is an astronaut. Um, his brother's Franklin Chang Diaz, and he's in the Hall of Fame for astronauts. He's been in space seven times. And so um, Franklin is an older brother to Ronald. And so when um, 
when Ronald was um, 16, his father passed away and Franklin was already in the U.S. at NASA. And so his mom sent him to his brother <laughs> and he went to high school there in the U.S. And um, he started learning a lot about space and he became a big space uh, enthusiast. Like he, he loves space and he loves STEM and, and he became an engineer. And so um, he was doing these balloon experiments in Costa Rica. And from there, he, he um, also did... Um, he also sent up the first a satellite from uh, Central America. And so after he got done with the, these projects that he was doing, because he was doing a lot of stuff around STEM and encouraging young people to get into STEM, he was looking for the next project. And that's when him and his, his wife at the time were, were like, you know, instead of doing something just for Costa Rica, let's do something like more global and, you know, to change, you know, the world. And, and so she was more of an inspiration around not just breaking a record, but also doing it uh, with a woman and so, and, 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 and he's, he's, he, he has a lot of passion for STEM and he wanted to create, um, opportunities for young people, especially, you know, young girls and women to get into the, the fields of STEM because he felt like it changed their lives so much when their brother, um, became an astronaut. And so it wasn't just their lives, but also felt like they changed the country's lives because it was like the first time a Costa Rican went to space, you know? So the project was born then, then COVID happened and, um, um, initially, they had um, a couple of Costa Rican women that were doing it um, that were like a primary and a backup. But one of them decided to like go back to graduate school. And so she so things changed there for her. And so that's when they reached out to Amy and Sarah. And um, and that's when Sarah and Amy reached out to me. But there was a group of women that they were looking at, a group of skydivers. And so they narrowed it down to three women. So it's myself, it's uh, Swati uh, Varshni and Diana Valerin. And Diana's from Costa Rica. She was one of the original ones. She was like the backup to, to one of the, the other Costa Rican women. And um, Swati, is uh, her parents are from uh, India. So she's like a woman of color, right? So the both of them are engineers. They haven't decided who it's going to be yet until they get more funding and they do more testing. All three of us went to a um, to try on spacesuits, which is kind of insane, in uh, Houston, and they wanted to see how we would do in the spacesuits if we were claustrophobic and if we even wanted to do it after trying on these spacesuits because you know it's not just trying on the spacesuits but it's pressurized spacesuit. The um, system they're going to use is very very similar to Allen. Uh, Alan Eustis system. Um, it's made by Paragon um, Space Development Corporation. It's, they're going to use the same company. Yeah, so it's be, being pulled up in a balloon, not in a gondola, right? So you're just being pulled up in your spacesuit, which is like your little spacecraft. <laughs> um, so this is just, just as Alan did. Just as Alan did, yeah. So, um, yeah, so we tried on these spacesuits and they, their idea was we were going to, they were going to choose two women, a primary and a backup. But when we were there, we had such good camaraderie. Like we were so supportive of each other. They were like, we want all three of you. You know, we really want, we want, we want this to be more about women lifting each other up, you know? So I, I thought that was really, really amazing. So it's just really amazing to be part of this team. I don't know if I'm going to be the one. I could be. <laughs> um, and it's kind of a, yeah, kind of a crazy thought thinking about jumping from the stratosphere. But what's really exciting is just that it's also, it's just bigger than one jump. It's bigger than one record. It's bigger than one person. And it's, you know, it's about, um, yeah, just, um, 
inspiring, especially young women and girls to, to, to dream as, you know, high dream as much, you know, and, and like, it doesn't matter how big it is, you know, to go for their dreams. And also it's, it's, they're creating a whole team of educators around the STEM, STEM and STEAM, and they're going to create a curriculum which is going to also be, be for kids, like underprivileged kids, kids that maybe don't have internet to see us, see the jump, you know, or see, see everything. So they're really trying to reach out to not just, not just, uh, people in, in South America, but like the world and create this curriculum that's going to be aligned with the mission, which is really interesting. So what is the, the most immediate next step that has to happen as, as you're going through this journey? Right now, it's funding. <laughs> we have uh, Paragon on board to create the life support system. Now, Paragon also has a, a, a spacesuit. Um, you know, they ha- they're building the spacesuit. They're actually got a big funding. NASA and um, Paragon got big funding for creating new technology around the spacesuit. Because one of the things that happened before was um, this, the technology that they had was old technology, like from the like the sixties, and so some of the women um, have been like astronauts have been qualified to, to go to the moon and everything to walk on the moon, but they haven't been able to, because there hasn't been a suit that could fit them. There's now a lot of um, like research and development going into making a new suit. And so the suit that they would create for uh, this project could, could potentially be the suit that women astronauts are going to be using in the future. So cool. yeah, all the technology and, and learning. Have you had any conversation with Alan Eustace about this? Yes. Yes. I, yeah. when I, you know, was thinking about like doing this and like, and I was asking myself, should I do this? Is this, and I, I thought maybe I should ask somebody who's done this before and see what they think. And, and, and Alan's perfect because he worked with Paragon and so ask him what he thought and, um, and, and just find out what am I getting myself into? Um, so yeah, so I had a conversation. I had uh, Dan BC, um, introduce me to him and, uh, I, I, we had a, like a zoom call. He says he, he really, he, he, does, he doesn't care if other people break his record. He just wants it to be done safely. So he'll talk to anybody that will, that was uh, willing to, you know, like that's interested. And I was, asking him just different questions and he was like well th- giving me th- you know different different ideas and responses like make sure you ask him this make sure you ask him that and when i told him that you know they're going to be using the hair rising project's going to be using um paragon he was like oh okay i'm not worried at all he goes i would you know i would do it with them again if i were to do it um, so that made me feel a lot better <laughs> seems like you're connected to a community that has no shortage of knowledge because i know art thompson was at the museum and hall of fame event who is very much part of red bull stratus and you know i'm sure he and uh alan have probably traded a lot of notes on their experiences with these record-breaking jumps yes yes and i mean he's got like the intellectual property the intellectual data and and he's he's him and paragon both have it and he's willing to like share it all you know so that's a really good starting place you know (laughs) for something like this makes me feel better for sure incredible Eliana, uh, how much of your accomplishments do you think are attributed to having this incredibly positive attitude and just being open and hard work ethic? 
I mean, I definitely, it definitely helps, you know, right. You know, like, especially in team environments, you know, to, to be in a good mood when you come to work. But I think it also helps to be doing something you love, right? It's hard to be, I think it'd be harder to be in a good mood if you're doing something you don't like, right? You know, one of the things I feel like the gifts that skydiving has given to me, it's like it changed my perspective on like work, because I used to think that like everybody around me and my, like my family growing up, Everybody was going to work to make a living, not necessarily because they loved what they did, right? Everybody was going to work so that on their time off, they can do what they wanted, right? To buy the things they wanted, to do the things they wanted. But, you know, everybody was working really hard, but they weren't, they weren't loving what they did. And I just thought that's what, that's what you were supposed to do. You go to college, get a, find a job so that later, you know, then you can make some money and do what you want. And so with skydiving, I realized that, wow, you can, actually love like what you work in and you like get paid for it and so it changed my perspective and after that like now I I don't want to settle for anything differently like I don't want to just go out and get a, a different job you know I want to be in things that I love and so when you when you're doing things that you love you know you're, you're excited to come to work you're happy right you're in a good mood and you want to learn you want to put in the work you don't mind putting in the work you don't want to mind putting in the time so um, it makes it easier to do that right because it doesn't feel like work <laughs> that is an awesome spot to end we haven't talked about more specifics about airspeed. We haven't talked about your years in Dubai. We haven't talked about you becoming a member of the Skydiving Hall of Fame. And I hate that. I, I want to know what you're reading. I want to know what podcasts you listen to. I, there's so much more that, that I'd love to learn, but I think this is a, a great stopping point. Maybe we can do a episode two with Ileana in the near future. I don't want to be selfish, but thank you, Ileana, for your time. Most of all, and I know you hear this a lot, and I, I want to say this with sincerity and, and remove any cliche. Thank you for who you are. Thank you. <laughs> you are this positive light in our sport and a great example. And I, and I often hear your name mentioned with women, whether it be with Highlight or first woman on airspeed, first and only woman on airspeed. But I, don't, I, I just view you as incredible human being ambassador for not just women, ambassador for the sport. I feel grateful for how you've treated me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when you're a young jumper, or uh, in my case, a young jumper and a drop zone manager, you know, you, you, you put folks on a pedestal and you have all, always treated me not as less than or a baby jumper. There's no ego to you. Your your resume doesn't lead as you walk through the door. Eliana leads, and if someone is willing to find out more about you, then then they'll find out. Oh, damn, Eliana's badass. So thank you for for who you are and and for being such a great ambassador. Thank thank you thank you for all those kind words, uh, and thank you for who you are. We've always you know loved you know seeing anytime we meet you from the from the very first time anytime we you know, anywhere in the world we think you're Craig and I have always talked about how, what an amazing person you are. So we appreciate you and um, yeah it's it's been a pleasure to know you and to get to do this podcast with you. <laughs> thank you, Eliana. Super time. Thank you. Hey everyone, thanks so much for listening to the 20 Minute Call podcast. Please do follow us on your podcast app so you always have the latest episode, which is released every Monday. If you want to contact the team, our email address is podcast at beyondmarketing.xyz. 
This episode was edited and engineered by Garnet Snydrick of the YouTube channel Blue Skies Fun Days. Thanks for listening, and join us next week for our next episode.